My name is Jenna and I'm here to help you do all the hard things. I'm a licensed professional counselor with nearly 10 years of clinical and research experience working with people who have some of the most debilitating OCD and anxiety in the world. I'm also a mom, a personal trainer, and a lover of modern spirituality. My goal is to bring you all the research, guidance, and encouragement you need to help you remember and know how strong you truly are. Now let's get to it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Alrighty, we are good to go and we have Courtney here today. So Courtney, I relate so much to her story. Hi, Courtney. Um, Hello. Super excited to have her here. She's also a listener to the Anonymous series. So really unique that we have her here today. Um, I think what she has to share is going to be super, super helpful. Um, And she's kind of in the midst of a lot of of what's going on right now. If you're listening later, Today was election day, so t- today is kind of a an emotional day. No, we found out the results of the election day. Yeah, well, yes, that's that's right. It felt like yeah. it felt like one big long day for like right. Um. So yeah. So if that comes up, that's kind of the context for what what's going on. That's it's Saturday, November seventh. Um, yeah. So big day today. Um. So yeah. Before we jump into your story, Courtney, why don't you just give us some context for your family? How many kids you have? Um, kind of what your family dynamic is, just to give our listeners some background story about where you're coming from. Okay. Um, I have two children. I work, um, I call it extended part-time, so it's like three days a week as a family physician assistant. Um, My husband works full-time as well as a cable line man. (laughs) I don't, I'm a type A person in that I like to plan ahead I'm not a type A as far as physical organization skills, but I like to plan, think ahead. So, of course, I follow the timeline, went to school, did a five-year program, got my master's degree, you know, bought, got married, bought a house, um, all pretty rapidly. And then I was like, okay, time to start trying for baby. I had been on birth control. I timed it for 10 years. Um and so I thought, and then little backpedal, my mom had got pregnant with me. I'm kind of the whoops of the family. I have three older siblings. Um, there's 10 and a half years between me and my sister, who's the closest in age. My mom was 36 when she got pregnant with me. We was on birth control, off for a month, got pregnant. So I thought, oh, this is going to be easy for me. Well, it wasn't. <laughs> um, and it was really hard. Like, I wouldn't call it true infertility because I didn't hit that year mark, but I was just under but I can definitely relate to people's emotions when they are going for through infertility. Um, I was worked up, my, my cycles were super irregular. I was worked up for PCOS. I had some imaging done, um, the, it's called HSG, where they inject dye into your uterus and fallopian tubes to see if there's any um, obstructions. And I ended up taking Clomid, which is a medication to help um you ovulate because I thought I had some ovulatory dysfunction and ended up getting pregnant with my son um so that was pretty stressful it did put a lot of strain on our relationship um me just being who I am and then my husband being who I am that he felt like he was a failure and then of course I was timing sex and learning about my cycles and tracking it and time sex to get pregnant is not fun um Plus, it put a lot of, like, pressure on him to, like, have an orgasm once a day, every day, for, like, five days in a row, which is, you know, not normal. So, Courtney and I know each other outside of this, and I remember, Courtney, you guys sharing your first, like, when you told your husband that you were pregnant, like, that had to have been crazy emotional. I mean, you're already talking about kind of the experience 
the pressures that you both were under, which I think a lot of people go through, right. but they don't necessarily talk openly about, um, especially from the yeah. guy's perspective. Um, so yeah, I mean, right. talk to us about once you did become pregnant, what that was like and kind of the transition oh, into motherhood at that point. It was June and I didn't think I was pregnant because I had started spotting. So I thought I was getting my period. So the night before I actually went out and had two margaritas and a beer <laughs> and came home and was like kind of tipsy. And that next day, our neighborhood, we were having like a little neighborhood block party. So, and like myself and my husband and a couple of neighbors were like planning it. So I you know, had a lot of stuff to do. And I was still tracking my cycles. And if you really get into the depths of tracking your fertility, um, I won't get too much in the science to bore you, but it's your temperature after you ovulate mid-cycle, a woman's body temperature goes up a half degree to a degree because of the progesterone increase, which is pretty cool. So I was, since I was trying, I was still tracking and I did take my temperature that morning and had gone up even more than the day before. Now, one thing you'll learn is if you drink a lot, your temperature could go up, but it was like a half degree, which is pretty significant because I had learned what my baseline was. And after I get my period, it normally drops because the progesterone drops off. And I was like, well, that's weird. So I went into the bathroom and I did a pregnancy test and it turned um, like the second line popped up. And I can remember I'm looking at my bathroom right now, like holding it up to the light, like making sure it was really there. And um, I told my dog. And, I told my um, dog first too. <laughs> I was like, I'm not gonna say anything, but I said, you're gonna be a big brother. And it was pretty emotional and crying. But then after that, I started bleeding heavier. Um, it was a dark, clotty bleed. And I thought it was miscarrying right away. And I called my best friend and I, even though I'm emotional today, I'm not a crier very much, especially not around other, that's just, I don't know, just me, how, how I am. I'm, I don't cry on other people. And I called my best friend sobbing and she didn't, thinking I was having a miscarriage. Meanwhile, I'm like trying to prep for this party. Um, and she like didn't know how to handle it. And then I called my OB and he said, okay, let's check my HCG level. So I ran to the lab, again, still having a party going on. Um, got the blood wall drawn and it came back and I was still bleeding and it was like contractual pain. I remember that. And this might be a little bit graphic, but that night I remember standing in the shower. So trigger warning for some people. Um, I remember standing in the shower and clotty blood coming out of me and like, praying to this baby that I thought I was miscarrying and telling him again getting emotional it's like mama loves you I'm sorry and it was there's a part of me that thinks I miscarried a twin um and because it was just very much like a miscarriage bleed and then I reached we had rechecked my hcg the next day and it went up um and they did a couple more and kept going up and then they did the six weeks ultrasound and um baby was there but they, they did have what's called a sub um chorionic hematoma which is basically like a collection of blood between the placenta and uterus and so spotted my whole first trimester which was fun um so what that means too is you can't have sex so didn't couldn't have sex because that could cause miscarriage um and then fast forward to my anatomy scan. So that was 18, 19-ish week. Um, and I don't know if you knew this part much either, if we talked about it that much. Um, I, we found out I had a issue with a cord called a velamous cord insertion. That could, if I fell, got in an accident, that could have ruptured and the baby would have bled to death within minutes and I would have stillborn. Um, there's actually a, a fair amount of incidents where this is missed and a woman goes into labor and it ruptures and she has a stillborn. Um, so that was having a high risk first pregnancy after trying for a year was pretty traumatic. Um, I had an early-ish compared to tradition baby shower because I was afraid there was talk that my cord was almost previa, meaning it went over my cervical cervix. 
which if that were the case, I would have been on a hospital bed rest from like 28 weeks on because that's a super, super high risk of rupture. Um, so it was really stressful. I didn't travel. I didn't go anywhere. We weren't allowed with sex. I um, was really anxious. Had a scheduled C-section at 37 weeks, a little bit early. Um, and that was a pretty emotional day. And as we led up to that, my husband was super anxious. Um, he had wanted me to write a loving will. And I never did. But he was afraid that I was going to die on the table. The baby was going to die. He asked me what my wishes were. He asked me what the wishes were if I died and the baby died. <laughs> it was traumatic and dramatic yeah um that's crazy I mean you're underscoring how when women have this kind of difficult introduction into being pregnant right like you tried so long to get pregnant and you had a lot of difficulties and unexpectedness along the lines with that um not to mention then your high-risk pregnancy and you have all of this drama and trauma associated with it like i can't even imagine the amount of anxiety that just went into basic everyday tasks like if you trip if you fall if whatever mm -hmm. this baby could have died and like that is just really really anxiety provoking and you're underscoring how when women struggle like that they usually that anxiety doesn't just like poof go away right when the baby is here no it doesn't it's, it's not like, okay, like, I don't have to worry about tripping and falling anymore. You know, my anxiety is gone. No. It manifests into something new and different. So I don't know if we're jumping right. ahead a little bit. We can always go back to- No, you hit the nail out. head. But I think, yeah, like, talk to me about how that is the, was the case for you. Like, introduction into right. motherhood, your baby arrives. What is the anxiety like for you at that point? Right. So, yeah, that was, and I talk about small, fast forward. I've been in therapy with the same amazing counselor for three years now. Um, started six weeks, po six months postpartum with my first. Um, and we talk about now that from my high risk pregnancy probably manifests into this crazy postpartum anxiety that I went, fell into. And I think it's because of the high risk pregnancy. And then some, which we'll get into here about my childhood and learning how to reparent and all that just kind of exploded in my face once the baby was here. Um, so after he was born, he was fine, healthy for the most part, a little lower weight. Um, I was pretty adamant about breastfeeding, almost to a fault. Um, I, you know, everyone, all like, I should, don't give him a bottle, don't give him a bottle. And I remember the night we came home, he didn't eat for 12 hours, his weight didn't go up, and um, it was just kind of insane. I was seriously manic, like, I didn't want to sleep. I remember sitting there one night when my son was sleeping, I was like, I don't need to sleep. I'll just stay up all night and watch and make sure he's okay. Like, I was afraid he was going to die in his sleep. I was afraid to bring him upstairs in the bassinet and let him sleep. And while we slept, like we, one of us stayed up with him 24 hours at home for the first couple of days. <laughs> it was really not functional. Um, and then he stopped latching. So what we had to do this was breastfeeding. Like I pumped, we call this baby bird feed where we did the syringe feed onto a finger tube and he sucked our finger to feed him. I laugh now because it was, just insane and but I was happy I was manically happy I we can see that now and I was okay and everyone's like you just need to give him a bottle I'm like no this is fine this will be great and it turned out okay I breastfed him for almost two years but um I was seriously like in this really happy state for like the first month and I remember I got kind of like I got like a mild flu-like illness after that um and for some reason, and I don't know if something just flipped in my head and then it got, then I got dark. Um, Cause like I was anxious and not sleeping and watching him breathe and doing all these things, but I was okay with it. I know Den and I, you and I have talked about this like habituation being okay with these emotions. Um, my husband wasn't okay. <laughs> he was falling apart. Um, he got really sick and it was shaking and I sent him to the urgent care and 
um, his PCP starting him on some SSRI because he said it was the anxiety and it probably was and it was he was not okay and I think he had postpartum depression um, and still does. I could do the research and the research that I've done it underscores all the different like risk factors to a woman developing postpartum mood disorders and some of those things mm -hmm. are you know, socioeconomic status and having a traumatic mm -hmm. labor and having difficulty conceiving, like in all the interviews that I've been doing with these moms, like, I feel like other things are coming up too, like breastfeeding difficulties. Like, mm -hmm. it seems like it's this kind of the beginning of these expectations that you thought were going to be really awesome. Like this thing was going to be amazing and it was going to be full of love and ease and perfection. And no one told you how difficult it would be or that it wouldn't maybe work out and all the mental load and the effort and the guilt sometimes that comes along with breastfeeding. And it's like, maybe that's one of the first kind of introductions to like, whoa, this isn't everything mm -hmm. you thought it was going to be. And no one prepared you for this. So it's just one more example of how I, I think the timeline here happens with a lot of women, like difficulty conceiving, high risk mm -hmm. pregnancy, for sure, um, that anxiety follows you. So why don't you talk to us about kind of the, once things started to get dark, like you said, like what were some of the day-to-day -day manifestations of that? So our moms can maybe resonate with you. Right. Jenna, you had posted something, I remember this specifically, before you really started talking about it after Eli was born, about intrusive thoughts after motherhood and having very graphic visions of you killing your child. I definitely had those. And um, we do have guns. I know it's not everyone that's a topic, but I'll just throw out we are responsible gun owners. They're all locked up. Um, and I had been comfortable shooting them prior to this, but I was afraid to hold a gun or be around them or have them in the house because I was afraid I was going to shoot my child. It took me on doing my own little exposure response prevention. And then I have, had to have another friend who was a police officer and a gun safety um, instructor. He took me to the gun range with my husband, but my husband, I don't respond to his teaching style, I'll just say, <laughs> but I had to have him walk me through it in order to get that thought in my head and it helped just one time. Um, and I remember him specifically asking him, as I told him, like, I'm afraid to shoot. He's like, what are you afraid of? He's like, I'm afraid I'm going to shoot you or my kid or my husband. He's like, you're not going to do that. And just took, like, he didn't know anything about my postpartum stuff. And he's not really that type of person, but it just took him saying that to kind of help me like, okay, I can shoot a gun and not shoot someone. Um, and then of course, not of course, but once like dropping him over the banister, stabbing with a knife, but those weren't as intrusive. Like I could walk down the stairs, I could still have knives in her house and cut vegetables while he was in the high chair and be okay. Um, another weird fear and vision, we live next to a big river. Um, and to go one way into the next county, we have to cross a mile long bridge. And I had envisions of us of me driving over the edge of the bridge on accident it wasn't it wasn't purposeful and not figuring out how to get my son out of the car seat so my husband had to buy me one of those car seat cutter window breaker things to put my vehicle that made me feel better that i had a plan um so a lot of the when you talk about these ocd things and um i was like oh that's what that was <laughs> trying to learn how to like my son didn't sleep too well. He had a huge regression for months. Um, and I, there was a point where he wasn't sleeping and, and I was trying to figure out how to sleep train him and like falling apart. And that's the point my good friend was seeing his therapist. And I know he's probably going to listen to this. So, Hey, how you doing? <laughs> um, and I called him at six months postpartum and I was like, I think I had a postpartum depression. And have I remember I had to talk to him for like a month to get over the anxiety of having to sleep train for he was going to stop breathing in his sleep if he slept in his own crib in another room and yeah it was really intense um yeah yeah I mean you're I'm frustrated I love that you 
like got this tidbit of my life and you were able to apply that to your life. But I'm like, as far as the intrusive thoughts go and the harm thoughts went, but I'm frustrated that it took that long, right? Like I'm frustrated that moms don't know about this. I'm frustrated that so many women are probably experiencing these things and they're freaking out and they think that they're going crazy and they can't get the help. I mean, that's why it takes 17 years normally for someone who has OCD from the onset of symptoms to actually getting adequate and inappropriate care. Like it's absolutely mind boggling to me and you're not the first one. So I actually have another mom friend who they're also responsible gun owners. Um, and mm-hmm. she told me that that was one of her big issues too, like big harm intrusive thoughts that mm-hmm. she would either accidentally or intentionally kind of like impulsively act on this urge to shoot her children or to shoot her entire family. And she had a really hard time. She did a lot of things like checking constantly to make sure they were locked up. She would um, avoid them and just obviously just terribly graphic images in your head, right? They're so intrusive and so disturbing. So I I still have them. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. It helped me to go shooting with someone I went recently in the summer with another a female friend who's a cop actually and she and I told but I was a little bit more open with her I'm like hey I'm having some anxiety issues around gun I would I would love for you to take me shooting and so it, it in order when I start feeling anxious it actually helps me to go shooting with someone else um to make me feel okay with it again and that's honestly a little tidbit of responsible gun ownership you should do that anyway um but yeah Yeah. And I mean, as a therapist over here, I'm like, that's amazing. The fact that you had these intrusive thoughts and you were challenging yourself to go out and get close to a gun and hold it in your hand and practice it. Like that's inspire. Yeah. Like that's crazy. That's absolutely amazing. And Mm -hmm. for a lot of people listening, if you've never heard of exposure and response prevention before, that's exactly what it is. So Courtney was experiencing intrusive harm thoughts related to her um, child and, and her family. She was afraid of these guns. There was probably a lot of reassurance seeking about the guns, like asking about if they were locked up or asking your husband and avoidance and all that (laughs) stuff. Um, But what Courtney was able to do was in a confined and secure setting, she was able to go and tackle those fears. And now as a result, it seems like still have the thoughts, right? But that's not the point. The point isn't to get rid of the thoughts. The point is to have a different relationship with the thoughts and to have a different kind of judgment with the thoughts because we all have Mm -hmm. intrusive thoughts when things are especially important to us, like our children and our family. And especially when we're responsible for them, that's what OCD and anxiety latch onto first. So it's really difficult. And it's again, just so mind-boggling and frustrating to me that this is so commonly experienced by women, whether it's harm intrusive thoughts or sexual intrusive thoughts or any number of other examples, mind-boggling to me that more information is not out there. So thank you for your vulnerability Mm -hmm. in sharing that. I know that it's graphic, but women need to know. I'm so excited to share with you guys a planner that I've had for months now, and now I have an absolutely incredible offer so that you can enjoy it with me. I've tried yearly planners, blank diaries, and everything in between, all the way from back when I was in high school. Silk and Sonder is the perfect planner that I've been waiting for for years. Silk and Sonder is a self-care monthly planner and journal subscription service, including monthly, weekly, and daily planning pages, plus activities that change each month and are targeted to help with your self-care. You'll get coloring pages, recipes, habit trackers, journaling prompts, and more. Silk and Sonder offers monthly, quarterly, annual, and gift subscriptions. It's the first ever monthly planning experience aimed to empower you to live the life that you've always wanted. Inspired by a new theme each month, they hand curate, design, and deliver each issue straight to your doorstep. You'll love each month's blend of productivity and planning, introspection and mindfulness, and lifestyle content. I've been using mine for months, and I'll honestly never go back to a regular planner ever again. For 25% off your order, head to my website at jennaoverbod.com and click on deals. 
talk to us about how it's been having to, like what have your anxiety or any other kind of issues? What has that been like Um, for you? Yeah. (laughs) So getting pregnant wasn't as hard. That was, didn't need meds. All that stuff was better. Pregnancy, there was nothing really high risk. I didn't feel great physically, but the pregnancy was okay. Like no complications. Um, but my anxiety was still high. I was still in therapy and I had the great idea of starting to do marriage counseling to work through some of our stuff during the time, which in retrospect was dumb because my emotions were definitely heightened being pregnant. Um, we were, we weren't okay. Hey, like it was, um, it was a little traumatic at some times. Um, I don't want to get into too much detail I don't want to, again, don't want to bear his life down. <laughs> um, so that was traumatized. Like a lot of, ang- and around the same time, my grandmother died. Very traumatizing. And the only reason I would talk about this on this platform, and I'm sure you can add some to, you know, kind of get into like the husband's mental health too, and what that looks like and how it affects the mom. Um, and meanwhile, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going through all this stressful. I'm pregnant. Like, what is this stress hormone doing to my baby? And uh, so that, not that I felt bad, it felt guilty about that. Um, and then I, yeah, so it got better with some marriage counseling. We kind of, I don't know, it was a weird transition. Um, and then fast forward, because I knew my anxiety was high. I've been seeing my PCP, like I said before. And I made the decision to start an SSRI my last week of pregnant so I could just get ahead of the whole postpartum stuff. So I started Zoloft, um, which for people who don't know, that's the most well-studied SSRI for postpartum depression as far as safety and everything. I actually started my last week of pregnancy. Um, I had the option to do a VBAC, which is the vaginal birth after cesarean section. There is a very small risk of uterine eruption with that, which is about 1%. Um, they said I was a great candidate to do it because they, they can actually measure your scar and your uterus from your previous C-section. They said everything looks great, like you're healthy. But I knew my anxiety would have been too high. That was the main reason I didn't do the VBAC um, was because I, I knew I could do it physically. I knew I could do the pain. I knew I could do the labor. I knew myself enough to be able to make those decisions, but I did not think I would be in the right mental place to do it, to go through that pain and ride the weight, pain waves and all that kind of stuff. I'd be too anxious about the chance of rupture and losing my baby. Um, And there's a little part of me that's still sad about not having a vaginal birth, but that's besides the point. (laughs) And when the baby's here, um, the C-section went fine. There was no, like I was really anxious the night before. I didn't sleep. And I remember talking to my counselor after that. I was like, is this what people with real insomnia feel like? Cause that sucked. Cause I did not sleep. <laughs> I was crazy. And um, I had a really great postpartum experience. They put her on my chest. Um, she crawled towards my breast as much as she could be still being on the C-section table. Like I was still open. And she went and she started nursing, which is the coolest thing ever. Um, and she nursed a lot the first two hours, and it was a really great experience. Um, and then came home. So ironically, I have had some really great therapy sessions the last like two months. Um, he's really, and it's just been myself. I was doing it with my husband, and but he's really been pushing me harder to like go through these things, and we kind of unravel the fact that I'm like terrified of being an abuser um to my children it was spot on what did it say again it was like you know you're afraid of being are you terrified of being an abuser if you come through a traumatic childhood and it's like no you are not becoming your parent you are becoming yourself as a child toddlers are intrusive they have no boundaries they push you over the edge and that is what the abusers do. And you are becoming yourself and losing that control. 
helpful and not knowing what to do. I was like, whole I, I remember I was like, holy Santa Claus shit. This is it. This is what I'm terrified is about. And I know you get it. And um yeah, that was it was really like almost chilling how spot on it was. And that doesn't happen too often. Yeah. I love when in those, especially these unexpected places like TikTok or Instagram, like you, someone else captures exactly what has been locked up in your heart for so long. And just by them putting it out there and explaining it in a perfect way that clicks with you, it seems like you can almost unlock that a little bit and kind of let a little bit of it go. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I love that. And, and yeah, so this TikTok was about this concept that, you know, when you're being triggered by your child, whether it's with discipline, um, when yeah. they're having their ten- temper tantrums, when you're just triggered by any obnoxious or ridiculous behavior, right? Like, and, and toddlers do that a lot. They take it very intense. They're super intense. They're highly emotional. They're volatile. They are unappreciative at times. Like they can exhibit some of these behaviors that for people who had difficult upbringings, you know, they are very, very challenging behaviors for everybody in general. And especially for people who have struggled with relationships in the past that have been particularly boundary violating, right? Like particularly, Mm -hmm. you know, being taken advantage of. So this TikTok, yeah, like it, it said when you're struggling with a child and you're kind of in that power struggle, like you're not afraid, you're like it, it you're not becoming your parent, yeah, you're like becoming it, yourself yeah. as a child. Right. It manifests as though you are afraid of becoming the abuser or you're afraid of being this horrible parent. But really what it is, is that child, that toddler's difficult behavior is putting you, your brain, like right back into that seven-year-old mode or that 12-year-old mm-hmm. mode. And you're back with somebody who violates your boundaries. You're back with somebody who disrespects you. You're back with somebody who doesn't appreciate you. Like it's, it's was really upsetting, but in a really good way, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, well, yeah. It's, so, again, so don't hate about, us on for TikTok. Yeah. So talk <laughs> to me about like the day-to-day kind of what it's like having to go, like, how do you, how does it come up for you, these difficulty with reparenting issues? Right. And a lot of it is with my confidence with discipline, with my toddler, like baby stage, I got that. I love baby stage. And sometimes I'll feel a little crazy because I want another baby, but I don't. I want another baby, but not another child. Is that fair to say? (laughs) So yeah, I don't like being pregnant. Love the baby stage. Once they hit like 18 months too, that's when I like lose confidence, um, which is crazy. Cause I'm a, my counselor always says this, like you're a pretty confident person in most other aspects of your life. But I know I'm confident at work. I can fake it when I need to. And a month postpartum, my daughter had my second baby had a fever. We had to take her to the emergency room because it was just elevated over 100.4 to go to the ER, um, which is kind of traumatic in itself. Uh, I was okay. But we had to take her back the second day because one of her blood cultures was growing, which I thought was contaminant. Meanwhile, my mother-in-law was upstairs at the same hospital getting a pretty intense brain surgery. And we found out she had a stroke during the surgery, while we were in the ER, while they're trying to like establish an IV and my daughter and she's screaming her heads off. And that was insane. And my husband's falling apart. I'm trying to stay strong for my daughter. It was really, really crazy. And emotionally after that, I, that was around this time last year, I'm thinking, um, and that Christmas, like, I love Christmas. Like, we're putting our Christmas lights up today, by the way. And that's what my husband's out doing. <laughs> it's November 7th. Um, and I was cried Christmas night and to my husband, which, again, don't do that often. I was like, I don't have joy, and this feels horrible. Um, so we switched my SSRI to Lexapro, my antidepressant, and it got better. And... 
but yeah, like the, I remember sitting where I'm sitting right now in my bed and holding my baby and saying, I'm sorry, mommy's not okay. And just not feeling like a good bomb and what that felt like. I knew I was going to cry on each end. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, this is good. <laughs> this is good for you. If your therapist is listening, he's going to be very happy. No, because I, <laughs> he's going, I'm going to send this to him because he always tries to make me cry and I never do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, I'm again, not a crier and that was, it's, it's still hard because in this last year, Jen and I have talked a lot about I've had some pretty traumatic things come up with my family and learning how to repair it from a weird childhood it has been really triggering and hard with the toddlers and toddlers do not have boundaries and yeah, it's been, it's been hard. Yeah. You sent me, we've gone back and forth so much about this topic, about the issue of reparenting. And yeah. I think it's so incredibly important because with all the other transitions that are happening as we become moms, as all the other identity shifts that are occurring as we become moms, there's nothing like a child to bring about all of the messed up crap from your own childhood, yes. right? So right. you sent me a TikTok once and it's so crazy that <laughs> these little gems exist on TikTok and it's so TikTok's true. the best. Um, Don't judge us. TikTok's the best. Like, what was it? I know in your, I want you to explain it. Like it, it was this, it was this TikTok, especially about how, like when you're triggered by your child, your body doesn't yes. interpret them as a child. Your body is interpreting them as a triggering person from your past. You know, someone who doesn't have boundaries, someone who's pushing your buttons, someone who is taking advantage of you. Like you're getting triggered by all of these other things that are coming up from your past. Right. And, but it's, I just, I'm terrified of yelling my, at my child so much that I traumatize him for the rest of their life. We don't spank. Not listening is the biggest one. He, I'm trying to tell him to do something. He just straight up says no, or <laughs> texted you before this. was like, he's having a day. Um, being able to close a door behind him, which I did today. And therapist, if you're listening, I didn't mostly feel guilty when he's crying and not feeling like I'm neglecting him and traumatizing for the rest of his life. Like I'm, it's very catastrophic in how I think about it. Yeah. I I'm with you. I feel like it's very easy as moms sometimes, especially depending on your upbringing, like you feel like every little decision that you make has these catastrophic potentially effects like that, you know, yeah. take, turning how you handle turning the TV off and they don't like it is going to be something that they, that shapes <laughs> yeah. them when they're 25. Right. Like, and I know in hindsight, it sounds oh, awful, but it's like, it is enough to make you doubt your confidence. It's enough to make you doubt your approach. And uh, like when you don't feel confident as a parent, like it throws everything off because mm -hmm. we all want to feel confident, right? Like without feeling confident, it's like, how do you really enjoy it? it? Like any job, right? Like if you didn't feel confident as a physician's assistant, would you really enjoy going to work every day? Like if we no. can't feel confident. Would you feel confident if you... And you're right. being a therapist. <laughs> right. Like if you don't feel confident. Like, like and I know, you said this week you were struggling. Like eventually with any job, including motherhood, like there's a learning curve. And I definitely went through that. But I still feel like I struggle with confidence when it comes to things like discipline and screen time and all of that yes. and setting boundaries, timeouts, mm -hmm. like and like any other job, right? Like it not having that confidence makes you feel guilty. Like if I'm, if I don't feel guilty at a portion of my work, work, it's like, it's, it's work. I get to clock out. If I don't feel confident in my role as a parent, like I feel like a horrible parent. It's different. Yeah. So I get yes. that. 100%. So, and, yeah. So what, what have you learned? I mean, you've referenced being in therapy and kind of dealing with all these things. Like there's, there's this mm -hmm. building confidence piece, right? Like as it relates and shows up in your everyday motherhood experience so that you can actually kind of heal those wounds and like 
function better and more happy happily as a parent but then there's also stuff that like you as a as a repairing adult right like that you need to heal kind of the deeper wounds there so how are you managing all of that and what does that look like in your everyday life oh some days it's a hot mess um and recently I've been good and like the past month or two I feel like I'm finally healing um and I honestly and I'm not just trying to brown nose like a combination of some of your podcasts and being very open with you in our private discussions and some of my other close friends a therapist has been really pushing me and like trying to be okay with I'm going to quote you cheesily and do being okay and needing to do the hard things to get better and um, it was just as dumb as being like for the last year I've been listening to a Harry Potter podcast, a huge fan. Yes. Um, as my escape, like I'm a, I love to read. I'm okay. With, and really I've like all these, like probably 20 different podcasts I have tabbed and saved. I haven't li- listened to, but I want to dealt with those emotions of trying to get better. Does that make sense? But now I've like, you know what? I need to get better. I need to be a better parent. I need to be a more stable, happier, stop escaping. Little bit's okay. Um, and I think that's healthy. That's part of meditation and journaling and everything we tell ourselves to do for self-care. Um, but I also need to deal with them and stop escaping. Um, it's like how people do drugs to escape <laughs> to a degree. But doing all these things the past couple of months, it's been hard. It's been emotional. I'm not always great with these negative emotions. Um, like I said, maybe I need to learn to cry more. I don't know and be okay with it. Um, I need to be okay with being angry and not and with parenting and that I'm working on. Um, I need to be okay with my husband's negative emotions. He, he has stuff to like I've touched on. Um, you're bringing up something that I love about therapy that I think is the reason why people sometimes don't try it, which is, yes, it's going to be hard, especially when we're talking about things like anxiety and OCD and, you know, difficult relationships from your past and, and parenting issues. But what you're saying is like, it feels good to overcome those things. Like back to the gun example, um, you know, it feels it feels hard at first to kind of go through these emotions with your therapist, but you're learning so much. And I feel like sometimes gosh, people yeah. don't give the heart, like they only fear having to go through the hard thing. They don't mm-hmm. understand that like, it's going to be hard anyway. Like it's hard anyway, having intrusive thoughts about the guns. It's hard right. anyway, dealing with all these negative emotions and not knowing what to do about them. At least if you like, approach them and you deal with it this way that's validated and empirically supported with the help of a therapist, hopefully, Mm -hmm. like it's going to be hard and it's going to be better eventually, right? Like you're going to have the confidence from having, like being able to deal with the guns, like that had to have felt really good to overcome. I'm just thinking like, I need to go shooting again because I can feel those the anxiety. Yeah. And like, feel like you're in, up again. like you're in the driver's seat. That is yep. a really great feeling. Um, and yeah, like, I love that feeling. I love that transformation to see people go through that. And it's just really refreshing to have like this reminder that that exists for people like that. Yeah. It's yeah. hard to go through these things. And it's also hard to continue living life the way that you've been living. What's on the other side of challenging yourself though, is this feeling of confidence, this feeling of being back in the driver's seat, like things can get mm-hmm. better. It's just going to be hard initially. Um, yeah. You have to be okay with not being in the driver's seat for a while in yeah. order to get back to it. Yeah, absolutely. You're like superficially in the driver's seat, right? Like you think that you're in the driver's seat <laughs> by, you know, not handling the guns. You think that you're in the driver's seat by not talking about your difficult past, but you're mm-hmm. actually a prisoner in so many ways. Right. So what would you tell yourself back then at any point if you could? Back at which point? At any point. So like even before you were pregnant or when you were pregnant right. with your first or 
at any point, like it, like maybe at your worst moments or like when you have one of those flashbulb memories where you're just apologizing to the baby, right? Like, or struggling with your husband, like what's something that you would tell yourself back then if you could? I wish it's not, a, it's more of a wish. Does that work? Yeah. Um, Cause I'm not, I don't know how to address myself. I wish I would have known how much parenthood stirs your shit up and I wish I would have been a little bit more aggressive in dealing before I got pregnant Mm -hmm. um and then I can kind of relate it to my patients like if I see a young woman who's considering trying to conceive or she's on um you know antidepressant of some sort we talk about it and I've kind of made it my mission at this point again a whole nother topic but about the disparities of perinatal mental health support um but i'm starting to make it my mission to really address that with women and encouraging them to stay on their meds if that's what's right for them be in therapy during their pregnancy not putting that in the back burner and postpartum anyway but i wish i would have dealt with and I admitted it, like I told you, like, yeah, I've dealt with depression, and I was okay, hey, I was, I was anxious, but uh, function, I don't, I want to say functional, but I didn't really realize how in-depth it was until I got pregnant, and then especially not until the baby, I stopped feeling that, like, postpartum manic state I talked about, so I think since I'm still kind of going through it, it's hard for me to say what I would tell myself, ask me in six months. <laughs> I will. I will come back in six months and we'll do a sequel. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I feel like, what happened? What, how are you doing? <laughs> yeah. I should just follow up with all these moms. Follow up. Yeah. Going. Um, yeah. So what do you, I mean, I love what you're talking about as far as the disparities in the maternal mental health system. Like I could go on forever about that. And I feel like if you're doing your part, like we just all need to do our part, whether we're mm-hmm. a therapist like me or, a, you know, a provider like you are, or just moms in general, I feel like talking about it more, you know, not waiting for people to come out of the woodwork because they don't and they won't, um, like taking that active role and really making sure that people know about these things. And yeah, I'm totally on board with that recommendation too. Like, something that I've been telling all of my expecting mom friends to do and anyone in general is like make the therapy appointment, set yourself up for it so that you have that scheduled appointment already. Like when you are a a new mom, if you don't need the session, cancel it. Right. Like not that I would suggest that, but (laughs) to wait until you're in crisis mode, like, yeah, don't do what I did. Like therapy (laughs) should not be crisis mode. Right. And that's what I did. Right. Like and I'm a therapist. I waited until crisis mode and at crisis mode, when I really literally would have wanted to see someone like that day, the waitlist was at that point, like three or four months. And luckily yeah. I knew someone who knew someone who knew someone. And so I got in, but women don't just have those resources. Like that's, right. the, that's the dysfunction that is not just our mental health system at large. And especially it's for moms. Yeah. Um, uh. So we have yeah. to do, we have to do better. We're going to change that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we, we are doing our part to kind of like chip away at that issue. And I think any mom in general can, can chip away right. at that issue by well, being can, active and Another mom can ask your friend how they're doing. I mean, don't, yeah. I think, and there's been a lot of great promotion around this, I feel like, but don't, I, it's not really that helpful to ask how your baby's sleeping because or questions like that, honestly, um, for the lot of it, because unless they're asking you if, unless you think your friend's just not going to ask for help, but I think asking questions like, how are they eating? How are they sleeping? Are not helpful. I don't know if you agree or disagree with that, Jenna, because um, a lot of times it's, it's, I think you should lead with the question of how, how are you doing? How's yeah, your mom no, doing? Um, what, can I bring you a meal? Can, or can I send you a gift card from Starbucks or like, um, so I think asking how your baby's eating or sleeping, especially in newborn stage is associated with a lot of guilt. If the mom's not doing it better or if their baby's not quote unquote good or there's something wrong and getting a massive amount of unsolicited advice. 
mm-hmm. is really stressful. So yeah, absolutely. I saw another TikTok, believe it or not, <laughs> about how like it's no one it's no wonder women struggle because like all the way up to their pregnancy, up until like the moment that they have the baby, it's like, how are you feeling? Uh, what's going on? Like, how have you been feeling? Like, have you had morning sickness? Um, have you felt the baby kick yet? It's all about the mom, all about the mom, mom, mom. And then as mm-hmm. soon as the baby is there, of course, this individual is important. The mom yeah. is also important. And then yeah. all of a sudden, six weeks go by, they are not asked usually how they're doing. They're you know, gifts are coming in and it's all for the baby. There's nothing yeah. for the mom. Meanwhile, like we don't need oh. another baby blanket. Yeah, mom absolutely. A, some good coffee or <laughs> um, clean my house. Go get her clean. Yeah, please, for the love of God, clean my house or let me go get my nails done. <laughs> right. Something like that. I'm a big fan too. Like people might feel differently about this. Obviously, like read the, read your audience, like read the mom, especially if you know her well, but don't even ask, right? Like, can I help you? Like, do you need anything right now? Because especially with the climate and the environment socially that we're as new moms expected to kind of uphold as far as like making Mm -hmm. sure that we, we love motherhood. Everything is great. We're probably going to be like, no, I'm good. I got it. And meanwhile, like we haven't showered. We just want five minutes to be alone. Like we're Mm -hmm. in pain. We need food from the grocery store, right? Like there are things that we need. I have found like I feel better and like my mom friends have appreciated it so much when I just offer those things like, hey, I'm at the grocery store. What do you need? Like I want to bring you some stuff and or like just bringing over food, like just doing it. Just do it because we, we deal with so much guilt. We have so many, so many emotions already. Like just do the things like just, 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 just do assume it. that I need your help. Yeah. <laughs> just assume that yeah. I need your help, please. I was pretty adamant with my second pregnancy. Maybe that was a little different. Um, so again, my great family provider, um, we, I actually saw her every couple of months I was pregnant to help with the mood stuff and helped my transition with this. She was fantastic. Like she, um, regardless, she told me about this book. I never read it, but she told me the concepts of it. It's called their first 40 days. I don't know if you've heard of it, Jenna. Um, it really talks with, yeah. Um, about the transition into motherhood and how more primitive cultures, when the moms first had the babies, their job is just to sit with that baby all the time. And I know for someone like you, Jenna, that might be hard, but (laughs) I know that wasn't your jam but how that actually helps these postpartum mood disorders for let you just to heal and connect with your baby and feed them whichever way worked for you and for you to rest and how these cultures came surrounded this mother with support. Um, So she really encouraged me to have help at home. And I did. My mother-in-law stayed the first week. My mom stayed the second. My husband was off for 12 weeks. So even all I had all that, I still fell apart. But anyway, like, I think um, that helped. I was very adamant. I was pregnant. Any of my friends, I told them, I didn't, I didn't care. I was like, bring me meals postpartum. And even my friends that are single, don't have any kids. They brought me takeout. And it was perfect. And they'd be like, hey, I'm grabbing Panera on my way over. What do you want? And I'd let them know. And they'd bring food for the whole family. And um so just being having the confidence to be a little bit more vocal about things like that it takes a lot for some people depending on your personality I'm a little bit more forward and um because I have a lot of great friends who will ask what I need but I told I might not at the moment if I'm emotional tell be able to tell them so I was like just bring me food offer to clean fold my laundry I don't care so I think that's a big thing to help these postpartum issues um, is learn to advocate for yourself even before you have a baby. Just be like, hey, can I, can you like just plan on doing this or something? Yeah, that's such great advice. And there may be women out there who have the complete opposite experience and that's fine too. But I know I'm, I'm definitely with you. Like if I were to ever have another one, there are some <laughs> things that I would do different. Like, yeah, like yeah. more forward. What would you tell? What's my first interview, Jenna? What would you tell yourself? Oh my gosh, what would I tell myself? To 
probably to just like take a freaking breath. Like you need to chill. Like I remember just trying to do all the things. Like I remember, you know, trying to, whenever my husband was at work, he only was home for a week and four of those seven Uh, weeks that he had were, we were in the hospital. Yeah. So we really had like three days together. And I just remember like feeling like I had to like have a clean house that I needed to have this like perfectly well-fed, well-slept, well-behaved baby. I needed to have all the groceries done. I needed to have like all like a beautiful meal cooked. And yeah, that's probably why I wasn't able to like sit and just be with my baby because I felt like I constantly had to be doing all the things And I, like, I was pumping and trying to make excess milk and I was doing this and taking care of two dogs. And it just felt like, I I wish I could just go back and tell myself, like, just take a breath, like, just calm the F down, just calm down. I just feel like I was probably in this like manic mode, like you were talking about, like, I just got to go, got to go, 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 go. I just won't sleep. I just won't sleep. I'll just keep going and going and going. And then of course, yeah, we hit the wall and we fall apart. Um, so yeah, I would tell myself to just turn it down a notch, like just take a breath. Yeah. Cause I was, I was just a mess and the expectations that I held on myself, like my husband didn't put those expectations on me and I'm with you. Like I would tell myself like, this is going to be freaking hard. Like this is going to be harder than anything that you've ever done in your whole entire life. This is going to rock your world and you can do it. (laughs) Oh, it's amazing what women can do. <laughs> like I say that a lot. Yeah. Um, what we are, we we don't get enough credit, and I think that's why I'm so emotional about having a female vice president today, and what that means on so many different levels. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, my yeah, first we, thought too as a mom was like, her kids have to be so proud. Like it's just incredible. So, so last question, we've talked about this a little bit. I know that you are- Sorry, this is such a long episode. (laughs) No, it's all good. You are slowly becoming a fan of doing the hard things. I'm kind of telling you with the help of your therapist, like kind of bringing you over onto the dark side and Mm. you experience like some of the benefits of doing those hard things. So talk to me Mm -hmm. in your own words, why is it important to do and go through hard things? I think this week was a realization when I messaged you um, of what it's letting myself, like a lot of people, very hard on myself. Um, and I think that was when I struggle with ADHD. Like I want to do these things. But I never had the motivation or drive or organization to do them. And then coupled with when I got depressed, um, which depression is better, anxiety is not like I didn't have the energy to do it right so that you know not having the motivation or energy or focus but wanting to do these things because having the like mental hyperactiveness like I don't have the physical hyperactiveness lady to but a mental hyperactiveness which fun differentiation I've just learned about but learning to go through these things and like this week for example what was it just two days ago I I put that both my kids have been napping. They're both napping right now on the same time in the afternoon, which has been great. And I usually get things done, like dishes, laundry, looking at my charts for the next day for work, or I don't know. I feel like I always have to be functional. Um, and usually I have the energy for it recently, which has been great. Even if like half the time I'm just scrolling my phone and the other half I'm doing things, it's been good. But I was like, I don't feel like doing a thing. I feel lazy and I'm okay with it. Like being not pushing back and feeling like a horrible person because I'm feeling lazy was a new emotion. I was like, oh, is this what it feels like to relax and be okay with it? <laughs> like, um, and like today, hey, in the last two days, like I've been, emo- and part of me being lazy is I just kind of laid in bed and stared at the electoral maps, but and watched all my friends posts and I didn't feel obsessive over it. It felt okay. I said, okay, that I've been emotional this week. I'm not pushing back. So being able to feel on like the, if you look at Jenna's emotional scale thing, which I love love the visual, um, 
being on the lower end of the negative negative vibe ones, but being okay with it, meaning not pushing back and wanting to push it out of your body instantly is, is a new thing. I can't quite explain how I'm doing it, but I'm doing it. Um, and I think that's part of doing all these hard things, like working really hard right now to be able to do these things, just as, as a mom especially is my biggest role I'm focused on, but as a wife, friend, a PA, um, I think is really elevating. Is that, I think that's a good word for it, um, empowering. And I know it's not always going to be that way, and I don't want to think about that right now, and I'll get to that point. <laughs> I, I know it's going to come back, and it's not always going to be this great. I'm still going to have to work at it. Uh, but right now, I'm kind of riding this high, and when I have feel good like this, I know I'll stick with it. For more information and resources, head to my website at www.jennaoverbaugh.com. From there, you can sign up for my email newsletter so you can make sure that you are the most up-to-date about upcoming resources, podcast episodes, blogs, challenges, and more. Also, check me out on Instagram at jenna.overbaugh.com and tune into some other episodes here while you're at it. As always, if you have a free minute, it would mean the world to me if you could please subscribe and rate this podcast. Subscriptions and ratings help me keep the podcast going and help me spread the word to other people who need these resources and they otherwise may not get them. With that said, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I really love creating these episodes for you. And until next time, keep doing all the hard things.